The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello again, and uh, welcome to another edition of the TOSD Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, found online at belmontmedia.org slash podcasts and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the Toddcast at your convenience by downloading the free SoundCloud app available on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I'm Todd Bloniars from the award-winning Time Out for Sports Talk TV show, available on BMC Channels 9 and 29 and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. Well, it might be hard to believe between all the uh, nor'easters and cold temperatures we've endured this March uh, that the 2018 Boston Red Sox baseball season starts in less than a week as we are recording this uh, Toddcast on Friday, March the 23rd. But uh, that is indeed the case, and uh, here to offer up a preview, I'm very happy once again to be joined on the phone by Christopher Smith, Red Sox beat writer who's covering spring training for MassLive.com. Chris, hello. It is great to have you back on the TOST Toddcast, and uh, please feel free to rub it in about how warm it is from where you're calling right now. <laughs> well, I was I was here in Florida for the first month, and I, I went back to Boston for a couple of weeks, and then came back here just uh, just the other day. So uh, so I was there for the 22 or 20, what is it, 25 inches of snow in, in my hometown of uh, Billerica. So uh, yeah, so I, I've done my shoveling, my fair share of shoveling also. So. Okay, well, what's the temperature in uh, in the Florida well, I, right now? Actually, if you saw a tweet that I put out the other day, uh, yesterday, I had a coffee and a sweatshirt on. I was a hot coffee, and I was I had a sweatshirt on. It's actually very cold down here for Florida. It was in the fifties, uh, low fifties, the uh, yesterday morning, and again this morning, and so it's actually pretty cold down here. Um, you know, in the mornings and. Actually, yesterday it stayed cold the entire day, um, so it hasn't been too. Pl- I thought it was going to be great. I was going to go swim in the Gulf of Mexico, but it hasn't been. <laughs> it hasn't been uh, swimming weather since I came back. Yeah, but you know, I bet you the water temperature is probably pretty warm. Yeah, no? actually, you you might be right about that, but it's, it's. I know getting out of the water and then it's only fifty <laughs> degrees. You're going to exactly chill up really fast. Getting out, I get you got to be brave to get in and get yeah. brave to get out. Well, we would still love to see fifty degrees sometime in our immediate future here in the uh, Greater Boston right, area yeah. for sure. <laughs> so uh, yeah, even fifty degrees sounds like you're rubbing it in, but hey, nonetheless, uh, let's uh, first talk as we are uh, recording this. I guess some uh, news came down late this afternoon from Major League Baseball. Uh, regarding Red Sox pitcher Stephen Wright. So if you want to uh, briefly uh, t- address that. Yeah, he received a 15-game um, suspension uh, for his domestic assault a charge that, was, that happened uh, in December. He uh, was arrested, I think it was December 2nd or the 3rd, uh, at his house for a, um argument that he had with his wife. I guess things must have gotten really heated uh, for her to call the police. Um, his attorney right away after the arrest uh, said, you know, came out with a statement saying that he didn't, you know, there was no physical contact, he didn't hit her or anything. Um, you know, so, you know, 
when we've talked to Wright so far, he, you know, his, his basically he said, I'm not a wife beater. Those were his words. Um, he said that he didn't raise a hand to her, and, you know, he, he talked to us more about the actual what happened in the situation, not what they were arguing about, but more give us more details on the situation once the, um, you know, once the punishment came down. Um, you know, MLB told them not to talk about it until then. Uh, so now that the punishments come down, uh, we'll see what uh, Wright has to say about it and give us more, um, you know, detail into it. But obviously, uh, you know, not a not a good situation, not a good look for him, uh, not a good look for the team. And it, it's funny. I mean, you know, he's like the we've always looked at him as the nicest guy and easygoing. You know, Southern California. Uh, laid-back type personality, but, you know, talking to him, you know, he's in therapy with his wife, and there's some things that he needs to work on and, you know, restrain some of the anger and type of things like that. So, um, you know, everybody has their issues, but, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what he has to say about it, uh, you know, now that the punishments come down. Okay, and I'm assuming that this is not the kind of suspension that uh, he could appeal at all. He has to serve, begin serving it immediately, or actually as soon as he's uh, on the active roster. Yeah, I don't think you know he might be able to feel it. I actually do not know that. Um, it may have already been uh, appealed, or that whole discussion. I'm, I'm actually not sure, clear on that. Um, I would assume though it sticks as fifteen. And that he begins, you know, I mean, you know, anyway, he's, I mean, he could begin the year on the, you know, active roster and, you know, he's suspended for 15 games to begin the year. I mean, you look at it, too, and he wasn't going to be probably ready to start the year in the rotation anyway. And so, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of a new point in terms of, <laughs> You know, I mean, he, he kept pushing the fact that he was going to be ready and that the knee was going to be ready by opening day when he's only thrown one minor league game, whether he'd be ready for the opening day roster when he's only thrown one minor league game. And I kept thinking to myself, well, we're still waiting for the suspension and you probably won't be on the opening day roster because you're going to be suspended. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that that's the case. And, you know, we'll, it'll probably be uh, 15 games and that'll probably stick. Okay, well, uh, let's move on to uh, to a- uh, action taking place on the field. It certainly has uh, been a good spring for the Red Sox as a team, uh, win-loss-wise, and I know that means absolutely nothing. But it's also been a pretty good spring for some uh, individuals. Uh, what have been the the biggest surprises that, uh, or you know, I I don't I guess surprises is the only way I can put it really. Uh, things uh, that uh, that you've seen down there uh, this spring from the Red Sox. Good question. Uh, the guy that pitched today, Brian Johnson, has really had done an outstanding job. I think he's got like a 1.32 ERA now in his five starts. I mean, obviously you're throwing you know minimal innings in, in spring training, but I think it's up to 15 and two thirds innings now. He, you know, he dominated the Yankees lineup uh, today. Um, that, that he faced uh, four and two thirds innings of scoreless uh, baseball, only allowed two hits, five strikeouts, one walk. Uh, he, you know, that that Yankees lineup had everybody in it. Uh, Aaron Judge, you know, Stanton, uh, Sanchez, uh, most of their regulars. Bird, yep, all the regulars. And you know, he struck out. Um, you know, uh, Judge, he struck out uh, Didi. I mean, he was, he got um, Judge to ground into a double play and other at bat. So I mean, he was he had his way with those hitters. 
So that was a real positive. Uh, another guy that's that's been impressive, six six home run today for Sam Travis. Um, you know, there's really no place to play him. There's no place on this roster for him because Mitch Moreland and Hanley Ramirez at first base, and you know JD uh, JD Martinez is the is the DH, and you know all the rotating pieces they have. You know Martinez goes out and plays some outfield, but. You know, I mean, he, he's somebody maybe that you look to and you say that he's turned a corner in terms of his career, in terms of power. I mean, I talked to him earlier in spring training, and he made a lot of adjustments to the swing to get more power. He went to Atlanta and worked with Tim Hires, the new hitting coach, who he had had previous a previous relationship with because Tim Hires was an assistant hitting coach in the Red Sox organization at one time, and they kind of looked at the video together in the offseason in Atlanta where Tim lived, and, you know, and, and they made some adjustments, and the power's finally coming for Sam Travis. And, yeah, I know that he's like Mr. Spring Training usually, but he's never hit for this much power during spring training, and I always tell everybody that says, um, when they say Sam Travis is Mr. Spring Training, I always say that, well, Julian Edelman used to be Mr. Preseason at one time, too, uh, until he did it in the regular season. So um, I've always had belief that Sam Travis can be a very good baseball player. So that, that's another one to look out for. Yeah, and with Travis, he's still relatively young. I mean, you know, I, yeah. and he has options, which I guess is, is good in this case because, you know, he, obviously, like you mentioned, Chris, he's blocked on the major league roster, but at least they can send yeah. him back down. Hopefully he stays healthy for a, a full season of minor league ball and he continues those power numbers. And then, you know, who knows, maybe he'll uh, he'll find his way uh, on uh, next year's team for sure. I mean, I know Hanley Ramirez is an impending free agent after the season, uh, possibly. I know there's some vesting issues that could pop up there but uh yeah so i mean you know certainly good depth to have in the minor leagues even for this season if you know the team runs into some injuries at those positions yeah and then um and then definitely uh the two um you know swihart's obviously well before we get to swihart can we i was actually i was gonna let me back up a bit you mentioned brian johnson and of course we're right swihart and johnson the one thing they both share is that neither one have any minor league options remaining so the red sox would need to keep them on the the 25-man roster or expose them to waivers where the way they've both performed this spring um they uh you know probably would get scooped up so uh you know really first before we get on to swihart just to kind of back up you mentioned Johnson having such a, a good performance today against the Yankees, and on top of that, he's had a really good spring in general. I mean, it, it, it really feels like he's pitching like someone who knows that, you know, this is his last chance to make the Red Sox roster in all likelihood, and, you know, he wants a spot at, you know, somewhere either at the back end of that rotation or or possibly, uh, you know, as the season goes on, maybe he becomes like the lefty out of the bullpen. Yeah. So that's that's um, you know what it would be. I mean, he you know he's got to be at this point. He's got to be do it, do it, you know, do anything type of guy. I mean, if they want him to, you know, be the long reliever out of the bullpen, he's got to be that. If they want him to, you know, have a left-handed reliever, you know, specialist type role, he's got to do it. If he, you know, but I look at it this way. I said this to somebody, or I wrote it. I have no idea because I've written a million things, so I don't know if I wrote it or I said it to somebody, but. You look at you look at like what Stephen Wright did. Um, actually, I think I put this on Reddit. <laughs> um, you, you Where at, else do you write? I, I only mentioned Mass Live. I didn't. <laughs> you're putting you're posting stuff all over the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you uh, 
<laughs> you look at what Stephen Wright did a couple of years ago when he was an all-star. He was out of options uh, coming into that spring training, and we looked at Stephen Wright at that point. I remember interviewing about him about it. It was spring training 2016, and I said to him, uh, you know, the urgency and stuff like that, and, you know, it, we, we looked at Stephen Wright at that point as somebody that they didn't want to get rid of. They didn't want to put on waivers because he would have been claimed. And we assumed that he was going to be the long reliever out of the bullpen. And then all of a sudden, Eduardo Rodriguez had that knee injury. And Stephen Wright began the year in the rotation. And then he never relinquished that spot in the rotation because he pitched so well. So... You know, Johnson's going to have a spot in that rotation to start the year now with, you know, Wright uh, suspended. You've got, um, you know, Eduardo's not ready. You know, Pomeranz is, is not ready. Um, so he's going to have a spot in that rotation to start the year. He potentially could run with it and, and keep that spot the whole entire year uh, in, in a Wright-like scenario. But if he doesn't, if they, you know, if other guys come back and they're, you know, they prove to be better, then he just do whatever they they need him to do. You know, be the be the long guy. Be, you know, I've always liked Brian Johnson though and his ability to, you know, to know how to pitch and, and to be tough on the mound. So so I look at him as somebody that they they should keep and they should want to keep. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there, Chris. I mean, certainly, I you know for people who don't necessarily know his his background. I mean, he's he's had to fight a lot of anxiety, depression issues over the last few seasons. Um, but you know, then you know, last year, I mean, I believe you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, Chris. But I believe he had the only complete game of the Red Sox pitching staff last year when he was called up on that that Saturday in June when they when the Red Sox were desperate to fill a, a spot in the rotation due to injuries, and and he pitches a, a complete game against I think was it was it the Phillies or I don't remember now who it was against, but was it the only complete? It, yeah, it was. It was I forget who it was, but yeah. Um, so one side note on that game, I mean, that was an exciting game for, for a lot of people in his life, you know, that because, you know, he, he had had the depression and, and the anxiety and, you know, that I that was, I believe, his first start of last year after coming back and overcoming all that, you know, first spot start of last year. And his, uh, one of his best friends, who's been one of his best friends his whole life, who was actually, I don't know if you are aware of this, but Brian Johnson was actually involved in a carjacking <laughs> incident uh, a couple off-seasons ago where he and his friend were just sitting in a car and they got carjacked by somebody and their car got stolen from them at gunpoint, I believe it's a gunpoint. And so this friend that was with him in, in this scary situation, um, you know, surprised him, flew up to a Fenway Park and you know, from Florida, Cocoa Beach, where they live, and, you know, surprised them before the game, you know, that he was there. And, um, you know, he, he's just such a supporter of this kid. His name is Tom, and he just he just loves Brian, man. He, he He's just such a one of his one of Brian's biggest supporters, and he was just pumped to just be there that day. And I remember talking to him before the game because he told me he was coming up. And um, he was just telling me, he's like, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. And I was like, you know, no matter what happens, you know, it's just what what he's overcoming or anything, even if he goes three innings. And then for him to go nine innings and have the shutout, uh, it was just such a special day for, for Brian, for his friend, for everybody in that family. So, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. And we, we all like Brian and uh, 
and uh, he's a special story. Oh, well, yeah, no, I did not know about the carjacking, but yeah, it, it definitely, there's enough reasons to root for him, aside from the fact that he also represents uh, uh, a novelty of sorts on the Red Sox uh, as far as their organization. I mean, he has a chance if he can stick in the rotation all year as being somebody who could, uh, you know, who's homegrown. I mean, if you look at the rest of that rotation, obviously everyone else was acquired uh, either via free agency or trade, so... Uh, you know Johnson. You know an original, uh, an original draft pick of the uh, Red Sox. And speaking of uh, Red Sox original draft picks who are out of options and need to stick on the current 2018-25 uh, man roster, now we'll we'll get back to Blake Swihart, who, like Johnson, has put up some very impressive numbers uh, this spring. Talk a little bit about uh, Swihart's spring, not only at the plate, but how he's also been playing all over the field and how he's been adjusting to to playing uh, multiple positions. Yeah, well, he's a newly married man in the off season, and uh, he actually was—he played some winter ball before he got married, and I guess he swallowed a parasite or whatever. I don't know, swallowed a parasite or whatever, but um, he lost like quite a few pounds. I think he lost like twenty pounds right before his, his wedding. So he had like that—that that setback, you know, to begin his off season. But the rest of his off season went really smoothly. And he put himself in a good position to, you know, like, so last year with the ankle injury and everything, um, you know, he just got into too many bad habits. And this, this off season, he really, um, he really, you know, remembered his swing and, and, you know, got back to what he was always doing right. You know, we look at Blake Swire back in 2016, he had the second uh, for catchers, you know, in, in, in Major League Baseball during the second half of the season uh, to only Buster Posey. So, uh, you know, this kid can hit. Actually, that might have been 2015, oh, I think. What is it? I think that was 2015. I think you said, did you say 16? Because 16 was when he got hurt. 2015. I'm, I'm, That's okay. No, I mean, but you're nice. right. Going, You know, it's it, it's funny how the years just kind of fly by. But, you know, for Blake Swihart, it's been like an 18-month odyssey of just one kind of calamitous event after another, starting with all the injuries he went through and then all the stuff you mentioned uh, he was having to go through right around his sure. wedding time. So uh, Yeah, his first year was, uh, his first his rookie year was my first year at Mass Live, so I was trying to think of it in terms of that, but I was also thinking of it earlier. My first year, like I got hired at Mass Live right, right before the season, so I didn't go down to spring training that year. So I was like, so I was thinking in different ways. But okay, so yeah, yeah it was 2015, but... I mean, he was a very good player at that point. And so, I mean, he, he played left field today. He's played third base. He play, he's played uh, first base. He can catch. He's looked better with, with his throws from what I've seen catching-wise. Um, I look at this guy as somebody that can you know, play multiple positions. I just, I just look at it, too, though, and I wrote this. On Reddit, actually, <laughs> I wrote this. That so go find Chris uh, Smith on Reddit. <laughs> I'm gonna have to find it to myself because I'd like to read some of these stories. <laughs> yeah, well, Mass Mass Live like, is advanced media, so we actually the advanced media is like owns or is the I don't know it's it's owns their owner owns um, Reddit or whatever. So actually, okay. it's part of my job to be on Reddit. <laughs> oh, so, well, uh, fair enough then. Okay. So, so, um, so I'm on Reddit, yes. But I, I, um, getting back to whatever I was talking about, I don't even know. Swihart. <laughs> we're talking about Swihart. Right. You wrote something on Reddit. You posted something on Reddit about uh, about his athleticism and his ability to play multiple positions. Is that? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, he can play multiple positions, but, um, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what I wrote. I mean, I, I worry, too, about his playing, you know, every day. Or not not every day, but enough. Um, because, you know, you look at what they have on their bench, and they've got Eduardo Nunez. And obviously, Eduardo Nunez will start at second base to begin the year with Dustin Pedroia on the DL. Um, but once Dustin Pedroia comes back, then you've got Eduardo Nunez on, on the bench. Um, you've got, you know, Hanley Ramirez in a situation where, you know, it's even questionable whether he's an everyday, you know, he gets everyday at bats because you've got J.D. Martinez at DH. You've got, right. you know, Mitch Moreland starting at, you know, at, at, at first base against right-handed pitchers. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and then Brock Holtz having a, a, a good spring. So if he makes the team, where does, you know, Blake Spahard actually play consistently and, you know, be able to get those at-bats consistently if he is the super utility guy? That's, that's what I worry about with Blake Spahard and, you know, why some people are like, you know, Evan Drellick of, you know, uh, I say CSNNE, but it's now Yeah, I, I know, right. Written like <laughs> he would be more valuable as a tr- uh, somebody that's created, you know, to, to, it would be better, better benefit for him to be traded. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I, to- I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I understand that. But first of all, I just, I think based on Swihart's upside, I think we can be excited as fans and followers of the Red Sox. I don't know if they're going to get fair value back for him projecting on the upside because I think any team that they try to trade with is going to say, well, he's unproven. You know, they'll try to talk it down. Well, we don't want to give you that much for him because, you know, he hasn't played through a whole major league season. So we don't know how good he could be, but we'd like to get him, you know. So we're going to give you something a little less than what you're probably hoping for. And maybe, again, this is a case of, you know, all of us Red Sox fans are overvaluing the the prospects here, but but certainly like you brought up uh, with Swihart, his 2015 that rookie season, you know he just showed you know a lot of you know all that athleticism and the ability to catch, and there was just so much there that you just you, you certainly don't want to you know expose him to to waivers because someone's going to scoop him up when they can get him for nothing, and yeah I just I don't know if they're going to be able to get I mean, what would you like for example what would you throw out there as a as a a player that the Red Sox could conceivably trade Swihart to get. Let's just say it was a one for one, just to kind of make things simpler in in this hypothetical. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't even look at it that way. I would think of it more as your your um, the Red Sox farm system is is weaker than you know it has been in a, in a while, and you could maybe get a a lower level prospect, top ten type prospect for him. Not not top ten prospect in MLB, top ten prospect organizationally. So like you know, you you trade them to say the I don't know, just say the Pirates, and, and they give you back a you know a guy that's in single A that's rated that ranked in the top ten in their organization. You know, just so you've got a piece that's you know in your you know that's what I would think that they might do. In, in or you could maybe trade him for a reliever. That type of thing, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it would be a switch where you would, you know, like a you know Will Middlebrooks for Ryan Hannigan type thing. Ugh, yeah, that's not. <laughs> no, even hearing that right now, I'm already starting to get nauseous in my stomach. Uh, hearing that, no, I mean, you know, first of all, this is just my opinion. Relievers are basically a dime a dozen. You don't trade them for a relief pitcher. Not when this kid's only 25 and has his whole career ahead of him, and you're probably getting yeah, some. You know, thirty-year-old I mean, with Dombrowski sure. mid-season, he's gotten relief pitches for nothing at all. So yeah. you know, 
I mean, he's gotten them from minimal prospects. So, yeah, I, I would if if I was to if if I was to Bruskin, I would trade Swihart for anything. It would be a it would be another it would be a prospect um, with options. <laughs> Yeah, a top ten prospect that's not even on a forty man roster yet. That's in the lower left. It's like you know, high A or maybe maybe double A. Um, you know, somebody that's not on a forty man roster yet. Yeah, let me ask you this, Chris: uh, Would would Dave Dombrowski and the Red Sox uh, decision on keeping Swihart or finding a place for him on the roster would it be a lot easier if Chris Sale wasn't apparently in love with Sandy Leone as his personal catcher? Wouldn't that because because then Swire could just be the backup catcher to Vasquez? That's a good question, but um, that's a good question. Can we get a Sale kinda... and, and Swire to like go out to lunch a few times or something and just kind of try to buddy up or so whatever? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I, I've actually asked Alex Bloor about this, and he has not given us great answers on if there's going to be personal catchers this year. Um, I really don't know what to expect because it was it was a troubling thing last year, and I actually asked John Farrell that. Uh, I think it was before the last game John Farrell managed was next year. Are you going to be so dependent on you know is everybody in this rotation going to have a personal catcher? Because it got to that point where everybody did, you know, and the only person that should potentially have a personal catcher is, is the ace. You know, I mean, right. you know, John Lester had David, David, uh, David Ross. You know, and that that worked out. You know, Chris Sale, if he wants standing the field, fine. But we've already seen, um, you know, Christian Vasquez match up with Chris Sale in um, in actual major league spring training games so far. And one thing that I noticed early was that Vasquez was catching Sale's bullpens. So. I don't know if we're going to see uh, personal catchers and, and Leon have uh, sale every single time. I don't think that's necessary because, you know, I mean, it, it really isn't. Because what if Leon retired uh, tomorrow? Chris Sale's still going to be dominant. So, I mean, if they were to have Vasquez catch him every day, you're still going to have Chris Sale post a high two-something ERA or low three-something low three ERA. It's, it shouldn't affect it. And so, but yes, I still think that they like Leon's defense an incredible amount that they're not, they wouldn't expose him to waivers or get rid of him at this point because, you know, we don't really know if, you know, Blake's, I mean, yeah, Christian Vasquez is ready to be the, the primary catcher, catch most days, but that second guy still has a lot, a lot on his plate. Um, and I don't know if, we really the the one thing that you know we we talk about Blake Swihart being an unproven player, it, it, most of his defense too. You know we really don't know what he is defensively. Well, I do think in the in, at least in the immediate short term, when you're just looking at say the first month of the regular season, I know the Red Sox have that interleague series down in Miami. The like games four, five, and six on the schedule. And I think the ability of carrying Swihart along with the two catchers gives the Red Sox a whole lot of options, the ability to double switch if needed. And if you ever get you know caught into any of these marathon extra inning games, and I know you can say, well, you can't predict those, but boy, it seemed like the Red Sox had a lot of them last year. And you know, having a utility player like Swihart who can also catch is a nice option to have. And if he continues to hit, and I, I understand it'll be harder for him to probably be as good and consistent of a hitter 
when he's always coming off the bench and, and rarely playing. But it, it just, you know, if he, if they can kind of, you know, maybe bide their time for a little while, I mean, that that's going to probably be his early role. And then my thinking would be when, when Pedroia does come back off the DL and everyone kind of reshuffles again, maybe that's when the Red Sox might evaluate the whole Leon versus Swihart thing and maybe whether Swihart could be ready to potentially be a, a backup to Vasquez at that point. Oh, definitely. They could definitely reevaluate at that time. And, and you're right about the whole thing about, you know, helping to have three catchers on the roster. I mean, we saw that last September where there was two, I think it was a Tampa Bay game. There was another, there was a really uh, deep extra inning game last year. Well, was, well, the Red Sox had an inordinate number of, like, games that went, like, at least 15 innings, let alone just forget, all, you know, all extra inning games, but they had a bunch of yeah. extra inning games that were, like, extra, extra innings. I mean, they, they had that one that went, what, 18, I think, or something, and and but they had, like, two or three of them like that. September that he, he did catch quite a significant amount of extra inning innings, extra inning, extra innings, in September, and um, he, d- he did help to have that third catcher. So you're right; that could be a real weapon. Yeah, let me uh, really quick now as we kind of try to bullet point our way through some of these other uh, roster issues. So you brought up Brock Holt earlier. I mean, I guess he's having a really good spring as well. You figure right now as things stand, he'll be, you know, he'll make the roster uh, as, as a bench guy uh, based on his uh, flexibility, uh, can play all those positions. And then again, that might be something that's going to get revisited when Pedroia comes back and Nunez becomes more of a, a utility guy himself. Yeah, well, unless they trade him. And that that's a possibility. I mean, they're the thing is, is that they're with the with the salary right now. They're they're he's making two point two uh, two point two two five million dollars this year, and he does have an option left, a minor league option. Which Devin Marrero, another utility guy fighting for that last roster spot, does not. Yes, so you could put Brockholt in the minors, but would you want to put him in the minors, making that much money, or trade him now? And if, if you were going to put him in the minors, what, wouldn't it be more reasonable to trade him now and get that salary off the books? Because the Red Sox payroll is up to about $232 million. So, in other words, they're already well over the luxury tax threshold. Well, anyway, what's $2 million going to well, save them, really? I mean... Luxury tax threshold is 197 million. That's now, what I mean. To cut two million off that by trading Holt doesn't feel like well, they're still going to pay the luxury tax. And yeah, okay, they yeah. save they save two million plus whatever tax they penalty is incurred on the two million of Holt's salary. Well, the thing is, is that if they so you would reasonably need about eight to ten million. I don't know. I've talked to some Red Sox execs. They say it fluctuates, but in in season flexibility. You like about eight to ten million in season, so you can make some moves, do some other stuff. So if they get to if they go over one hundred and thirty-seven million, now as I said, I have them at approximately two hundred and thirty-two. Some other people mm-hmm. have them at approximately two hundred and thirty-one. But if they go over two hundred and thirty-seven million, then their first draft pick in two thousand nineteen would be moved back 10, 10 places, which I don't think is that big of a deal, and I could see them. Going over the um, going over the two hundred and thirty-seven million and having that happen. Um, some other people, like Ben Sherrington, would never have that happen because he values the draft too much. But, Agreed. But um, this is Dave Dombrowski we're talking about. So why would he care? Based on his history, um, he would care maybe just because there there's there's this uh, he's got you know he's got other people in that 
system that really care about. He's got other people that you know, coworkers there that that are encouraging to build up the system, and he wants to build up the system too. And and they, but is ten spots that big of a deal? Because you look at some of the people that they've missed on in the first round. You know, in recent years, I mean, Devin Marrero was a first round draft pick in 2012. And now there's, he could be on waivers in a week. So I mean, it, the the you know the the draft is a bit of a crapshoot. But I've, I talked to some Red Sox uh, exactly said they don't look at it as a crapshoot. They look at it as a calculated risk. So if they look at it that way, ten spots is a big deal. So, but I think you know. So if they, I mean, if they're if they don't want to go over that 237 million, that's that could help. You know, getting rid of that that salad, broccoli salad, that that could help go a long way. Um, but the way I see it playing out is, I see them going over the two hundred thirty-seven million. I see them keeping broccoli, and I see Devin Marrero going on waivers because you know I've, I've watched Devin Marrero. I've seen him play in the minors. I've seen him play in the majors. He just can't hit. That's that's you know he had some good at bats last year as a right-hander against lefties. He had a good average against lefties as a right-handed hitter last year, but when it comes down to it, he just—he's never going to be anything offensively. And what you can get—I mean, defensively, yeah, he's very good. He can play third base. He can play shortstop. He can play second base at a very high level. But when it comes down to it, Lynn can do the same thing, and he could probably provide a better offense for you. Yeah, no, I think yeah, I think you're right on on both those fronts. The other thing with Holt, of course, yeah, you could try to trade him now. You know, you, on the other hand, maybe you hold on to him at least till the All Star break or around that time, and when you might be in the hunt for a relief pitcher, yeah, that's a possibility. Maybe then he becomes a piece of a of another deal to uh, to help acquire uh, help in the bullpen or something. So I, I think you know holding on to him right now over Marrero probably makes sense, especially the way he has shown this spring that he's bounced back from the concussion and the. Vertigo, I guess he was dealing with too. As I was uh, skimming through your feature today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's had a lot of those issues, and you know, he talked he talked to me about it, and he was like, you know, I still think I could be the same player I was, you know, when he was an All Star in 2015. So, I mean, you know, he's he's gone through a tough time in the last couple of years. I mean, those things aren't easy. Um, you know, he there he was feeling that type of stuff like in the middle of games you know, disorientation and stuff and, and the vertigo right in the middle of ga- in minor league games when he was trying to come back, you know, on minor league, you know, rehab. So it's been gone. He's taken medicine now for, you know, he's been taking it for a year or whatever, or, you know, eight, nine months. He's, he said he's going to take the medicine for the rest of his life. He doesn't know if the vertigo will ever come back. He hopes not. He hopes the medicine will take care of it. But right now he's playing really good, and I think he should get the spot. Yeah, well, we hope he uh, it doesn't come back for him either. Of course, uh, another part of that story that you, you mentioned, Chris, uh, that uh, Brock Holt is no longer on Twitter. The good news is that uh, Christopher Smith is. You can follow him on Twitter, at Smitty on MLB, S-M-I-T-T-Y on MLB. Uh, on Twitter, where you actually can uh, find that Brock Holt article where he talks about that he's not on Twitter anymore. Again, we're talking to uh, Christopher Smith, uh, Red Sox beat writer for MassLive.com, and you can also see his work on Reddit, apparently. Uh, found that breaking news here on the Toddcast. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, I want to bring up two players that we sort of just 
mentioned their names earlier in the show, but uh, two new faces here, and I know one of them you're going to be uh, writing a, a feature on uh, that uh, we're going to, I guess, is going to post on MassLive.com tomorrow, uh, J.D. Martinez. So talk about... Uh, you know, his landing here and the fact that, uh, you know, how is he going to uh, fit as a primary DH, but someone who has said on several occasions he wants to play the field uh, in the outfield. And, you know, frankly, I, I, I'm having I'm having a few reservations because I keep remembering David Ortiz talking about not every hitter is cut out to be a DH. And if that's where J.D. is going to be spending all his time, you know, where are we going to see the same numbers uh, that he's been putting up the last few years? But uh, you just talk about what uh, what you thought of Martinez's performance uh, this uh, spring and what you see for him uh, for the upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, I could see him. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he hit 45 home runs again this year. I mean, he's, he's a, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, he's soft-spoken in a way, but he's, he's got, like, the the right attitude for... So he's not like a guy that's going to be like, you know, I don't know if he's going to show a ton of emotion, but he's got the perfect attitude for Boston because, you know, he's a hard worker. He's overcome a lot. And he got released. He was, you know, 600, I think 611th pick in his draft. So, you know, he's not like some guy that was a first, you know, top overall pick who's been a power hitter and is, you know, getting this big contract now and, you know, he's just going to stop working. He's always had that chip on his shoulder, and, he, you know, he's going to continue to work because he's always had to prove himself. And I think that Boston people continue to like that. Now, in terms of where he fits and everything, I think that um, what, what he loves to talk hitting, and he, he's very um, – and that's one thing that Alex Scorer said, that he can help out a lot of these younger hitters. Um, you know, just to understand the game more and to understand pitches, he, he carries you know books. He writes things down. He's, he's he's very meticulous about you know studying hitting and, and working to become a better hitter and you know figuring out the competition, the the opponents the next day. <clears throat> so I wouldn't you know when when you say that David Ortiz says oh not everybody's cut out to be a, a DH, uh, he has that type of. I would think that he would be that type that he's that studious type and that person that loves to continue continuously work that I could see him when he's DHing going and, you know, dissecting things in the middle of a game to have a better at bat that next at bat. So I, 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 don't, I wouldn't think it would be a Hanley situation where he was getting bored in the middle of the game because he wasn't playing first base anymore. Um, <clears throat> so... And that's what I assume with Hamley. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Safe assumption. Um, I mean, I think that Hamley's indicated it a little bit that it was a difficult situation to not play the field and everything last year and to just DH uh, when he did. So, um, but yeah, I could see him. Now, you know, people say, and, and, and Alex has said, from the beginning, oh, you know, we're going to rotate everybody and, and not everybody's going to play every every day. People are going to have adequate rest. But, I, I mean, there's no way that Mookie Betts and Andrew Benatendi are going to play less than 150 games. So those two are set in the outfield for 150 games. If there's any scenario where, you know, there would be more time that J.D. Martinez plays, it would be in, you know... Plays in the outfield. Right? Yeah, it would be Jackie Bradley's spot, really. 
And, you know, Andrew Benatendi slips over from left field to center field. Jackie Bradley goes on the bench. And J.D. Martinez, you know, plays left field. Or, you know, they rotate some of it so that, you know, there's a day that, you know, Benatendi plays. Uh, Benatendi's the DH, um, you know, and, and, and Martinez goes out and plays some left field that day. So that you get some people off their feet someday, and just as the DH. So I would be surprised if you had a situation where Benatendi and Mookie Betts didn't play more than 150, even 155 games this year. I would think that the, the situation, the, the person that would lose any playing time in that outfield would be uh, Jackie Bradley. Right. Uh, and, and I would assume that he's going to mostly be the DH, though, so, uh, Martinez. Yeah, and you don't think Martinez is going to, if he ends up like having a stretch where, say, he has like 20 straight games as a DH, or maybe even a stretch where it's like 40 games and maybe only three of them he sees the field. I mean, is he going to, you don't think that that's going to be an issue with him? I mean, because he, it feels like he's brought it up a couple of times here in spring training, how much he'd like to play in the outfield. And I know that's what he's used to, uh, you know, between Detroit and then, of course, obviously playing in the National League. Yeah, it was interesting. He said it, too, during his introductory press conference, and I'm like, well, where's the outfield for you? Because there's three outfielders on this team. But, um, yeah, I don't think – I think that he's a pretty uh, team guy from what I've seen so far, and, like, he's not going to if, – if he has any issues, it's going to – He's going to bring it to core. He's not going to say it in the media. That, that's my opinion. And, um, and you know, they're going to settle it together. That would be my, that would be my opinion on the whole thing. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I just don't think that he's the type that's going to, you know, ear things out that if he's not playing the outfield, he's going to air it out to the media. Yeah, and I hope I hope you're absolutely right there, Chris, because I would I think he's perfect to fit into that DH role uh, because of like you say you've got three good hitting and defensive outfielders. Now I could make an argument with in the case of Bradley, he does have these very high ebbs and flows when it comes to his hitting. He can be really streaky where you know you certainly want him playing every day when he's red hot, but when he goes into his you know sometimes a month long funk where he's barely hitting 200, that might be the time to maybe try to shuffle things around and, and maybe get Martinez a little more time in the outfield. But boy, it's going to take a perfect manager to uh, to be able to figure out exactly you know to hit those uh, those those roller coaster streaks and the uh, Jackie Bradley hitting uh, ride, you know, to be able to hit those perfectly or at least close to perfect. And, you know, when I brought up, I said there's two new names I wanted to discuss with you. The other one is Alex Cora, first-time uh, Major League Manager. And uh, so what? I just want to get your observations, Chris, from what, you, you know, how Cora's been conducting himself in spring training. Does it, you know, j- just how is he seems to be a, a good fit with the Red Sox, a better fit maybe? I, I know you brought up a couple of advantages that, that he has over his predecessor, John Farrell. I mean, being bilingual is a big help. I, I think I would say it goes a long way with the, the current roster of the Red Sox. And But but just overall, what, what has been your impressions of Alex Cora? And uh, do you think he's going to end up being one of these managers who's just wise beyond his years when, uh, you know, the, the season starts next week? Yeah, we'll see what, what in terms of in-game managing. I think that from what everybody talks about, you know, that they, they've known him and they've you know, played with him back in the day that he always managed on the bench and, you know, he was, you know, would would say things of what he would do in certain situations and he has interesting philosophies on 
on certain things like, you know, left, right, left in the lineup. He's, he's not set on that like Farrell was. You know, Farrell was basically like, oh, I want a left-handed batter, right-handed batter, left-handed batter, right-handed batter. He doesn't care about that. He'll line, you know, five right-handers up if those are the best five right-handers up to begin the lineup. Um, you know, and, and um, if those are the five best hitters. There's there's a lot of different things that he said that are interesting. Like, you know, you know he, another thing that he said was, I don't understand why, you know, when somebody's, um, you know, they, they, a left-hander will have all the way bats against uh, left-handers in the minor leagues, and then they come up to the major leagues, and left-hander can't play against a left-hander anymore. So, you know, he says just so, such interesting things where John Farrell was like, you know, Ben Attendee comes up and, and Devers comes up last year, and, and, you know, immediately they could only hit against right-handers because they were left-handers. And so, you know, he's just a lot different from Farrell, and that bilingual thing helps. I was talking to Eduardo Rodriguez today, and he was like, yeah, I talked to him in Spanish. You know, when we talk, we talk in Spanish, and, you know, Eduardo speaks good English. But, you know, they talk in Spanish, and you can see that he's helped out Raphael Devers a lot. You know, he's very... Um, you know, he's out on the field. He's, he's very, you know, I don't know, mobile, but he's just wandering around. He's all over the place. He's, you know, he's giving suggestions. Um, you know, he's, he's only, what, 41, 42 years old. And so uh, the players relate to him. I think that, he, you know, he's going to be the type of guy that uh, if a difficult, you know, he's going to let them have fun, but if a difficult situation comes up, if he doesn't like something, he's going to be stern. He's going to tell them what he thinks. He's going to be a leader in that respect. And, he's, you know, he's going to be the boss. But um, overall, um he he's got that ability, that that leadership ability, that you know type of ability to switch, you know, to turn on different switches and players and have players respond to that in a way where they can, you know, they they'll they'll respect it when he turns on that different switch and, and becomes more serious. Yeah, and and to me, I mean, this is why. You know, you look back, and I know it's already been reported. I think Mookie Betts came out at the beginning of spring training, talked about how last year was kind of a, a mental and a drain on the team. And I think some of that, you know, certainly wasn't helped at all by, you know, John Farrell's management style. And I, I this, this is why I think guys like Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley Jr., guys who kind of had down seasons where I think most of us expected them to continue to sort of rise in their, their career development. And they sort of took, they all kind of took a step backward to some degree. I think you're going to see them take that step forward again. And I think Alex Cora has got a lot to do with that. Yeah. I don't want to say that like there was a bunch of players that didn't like uh, Farrell, but there were some players that weren't crazy about him, and um, and I think that there was, the change was needed, and there was some players that didn't like him. I mean, uh, David Price didn't get along with him at all, and uh, I don't know when that really started with David, if it was last year or if it was even the year before, um, but yeah, there's there's just, you know, it just didn't go down the right way last year, and change was needed. Um, Bogart talked very highly of Farrell, and he meant it when when it, at this spring training, at the beginning of spring training, but they also talked about how there were, you know, issues in the clubhouse last year, so, um, you know, and John Farrell didn't help that, and so, um, you know, Alex is a lot more relaxed in terms of um, <clears throat> speaking with the media. It seems like, you know, uh, John, John was very uh, corporate type. You know, he always 
thought about everything he said and when he said something and then it came out and what he said didn't really make much sense either right. <laughs> you know when he talked to the media right and based on the fact that like that with players but yeah. it was just so much so many phrases that john farrell used like inside a given game we used to say and it's like does he talk to that like with the players like that because you know plays you know baseball players don't even talk like that he, he's a major leaguer you know, he pitched in the big leagues for so long, and then you know, coached and all that. And it's like, well, why is he using this type of terminology? Does he use this with the players? Because if he uses this with the players, the players aren't going to respond. They want somebody that talks to them like a regular person. So I don't know if he, he talked that way to the media or uh, just with the media or with the players too. But they need they need somebody that can you know just kind of relax, talk their way, and I think that's really what Alex has brought so far. Yeah, no, and that's uh, something we're looking forward to. And uh, interesting remarks uh, with uh, regards to Bogarts and maybe his respect for for Farrell, even though it didn't really translate to how he performed on the field. But I know there have been some other changes made this this coming season in the Red Sox coaching staff. That includes their their new hitting instructor. And I know they're, with regards to Bogarts, they're taking a you know the coaching staff's taking a different approach with him. And hopefully we're going to go back to seeing, you know, I, I know Alex Cora many times keeps bringing up that home run that Bogarts hit against the Astros in the playoffs. And you know what? I, I get it. I mean, you know, I don't mind him bringing that up because to me, I go back to Bogarts' rookie year and that easy swing he took one day at Yankee Stadium and the ball traveled like 440 feet out to left center field. I mean, he, this kid's got that ability, but we just need to see it on a more consistent basis. He could easily be like a, a, a 25 home run run guy I think year in year are 20 to 25 home runs and steal bases and just you know give you lots of doubles and other things and he can you know probably be close to a 300 hitter as well 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 let me look at it this way I I think that he can be I I would look at him more as the over well over a 300 hitter like a 320 330 hitter I love it. <laughs> he cares about the power as much as just a doubles guy. That you know, I, I, that's why I've always that's the way I've always looked at at uh, Xander. Like, yeah, he'll he'll he has the potential to hit 15 home runs, but you know, give me a lot of doubles and hit 330 and win a batting title. Okay, you know, you no, know, Chris, I'll give you that. If he wants to hit 330, I think he can still hit 20 home runs just because if he's going to get that many hits, I think naturally, organically, just if they can get his swing adjusted, if whatever tweaks they're going to try to make, if he just has a different approach, I think he'll hit 20 home runs. He'll hit 20. If he's going to hit 330, he'll get 20 home runs. I will I will put yeah. money on that. Well, well, what I saw in 2015 was a complete season. You know, and that, that year he finished second to... Altuve from you know the second most hits in in the AL and he finished second to Miguel Cabrera for the the batting title and he had a complete season went the opposite field he didn't have as much power that year but he went the opposite field he drove in a ton of runs if you look up his batting average with runners on base and runners in, runners in scoring position and, and two outs and stuff like that those type of stats those were great stats for him that year so. Um, he has that ability. He just um, he he's gotten in some bad habits as seasons have gone on. The 2016 and 2017 season has gone on. Maybe it was because of injuries um, that got him into certain bad habits. I mean, I know that he had the hand issue last year, and Dombrowski has said that he got in, you know that Bogart's gotten in some bad habits because of that. So we'll we'll see. But uh, you know, 
I, I look at him as just drive the ball the opposite way, get some doubles. You know, if the power comes, the power comes, but he can be a, a batting champ. And I, I'm tired of seeing the guy that hits under 300. I, you know, and last year he hit well under 300. I okay. want the guy that can hit. 320 again. I agree. Well, I'm looking at his spring stats here, uh, Chris, and this doesn't include his... They're uh, good, right? Well, they are. I don't know if he played today against the Yankees because I don't have those numbers here. This is as of yesterday, but uh, 324 and a 960 OPS. I mean, six of his 12 hits have been for extra bases, four doubles, two home runs. Uh, You know, to me, if he could just, you know, similar numbers, you know, just take those and extrapolate them over a 162-game regular season, I would take that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, this is in 15 games and 37 uh, at-bats. So, you know, that's, you know, that that I, I would hit, gladly take that. And you know what? Maybe you're right, Chris. Maybe he's meant more to be just a, a guy who can hit well over 300 and some of the power numbers come down. Well, as I said, that's fine. I think if he's going to have that high of a batting average, that means he's going to have a lot of hits. And I just think, again, just based on his swing and his approach at the plate, I think 20 home runs would come easily if he's going to hit, you know, uh, you know, 320 or 330. So I, I hope that happens. I, you know, I know he's been, he's driving some fans crazy, which is really unfair. I've always been a big fan of his, and I, I just, I want to see it all come together for him. I, I think what has he got? Two more seasons here now. This is, this is season five of his six, right? I mean, yeah, you know, until well, at least until he hits the end of his, you know, rookie, you know, and he's eligible for free agency and. Scott Boris takes over, and we'll probably have to say goodbye to him at that point. I'm already preparing for that, but nevertheless, let's let's move on here. Uh, I want to talk about the lineup as a whole, and of course, you mentioned again we're being joined here by Christopher Smith, Red Sox beat writer for MassLive.com. Then you can follow him on Twitter at Smitty on MLB. He's got a lot of good stuff. Big feature coming out about JD Martinez uh, tomorrow uh, on the web, on the Mass Live website. So look for that. But you talked about the lineup, Chris, and. Uh, you know, and the fact that Cora's not uh, married to this whole right-left, right-left dance-step lineup, which is great because, uh, you know, I'm looking here on the first five batters in the projected uh, batting order, four of the five are right-handed. He's going boots, boots, <laughs> Mookie bets. Yeah, there you go. If, if I had somebody saving bloopers for the show, that would be it right there. Let's let's run that again. Betts, Ben and Tendi, and uh, Hanley, uh, J.D. Martinez, and uh, Bogarts in the one through five spot. Uh, just uh, what are your well, what's your thoughts about in the this projected lineup? You know, I still wonder whether Hanley. I almost feel that Cora, to some level, by putting Hanley in the three spots, kind of throwing him a bone here. To, I, I, I don't. I mean, your best hitter is supposed to bat third, and I'd make a strong argument that Hanley Ramirez is not their best hitter. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> that, that was the perfect answer, Chris. I just the pause before <laughs> before agreeing with me. That just oh, that was I, perfect. Uh, I, I tend to believe that. Ramirez is a little motivated this year and that he can have a good year. But as I said before, he's going to be fighting for playing time even mm. because of that, you know, Mitch Moreland and, you know, you got J.D. Martinez. Not to mention the other thing he's fighting for is getting enough plate appearances for his vesting option to kick in on his uh, contract and another 20-plus right? Yeah, right. I think, it's, I think it's 497 plate appearances. If he gets 497 plate appearances... <clears throat> he, that vests his two, $22 million option yep. the following year. I'm rooting for the under on that for plate appearances. Well, I, I, mean, I think the we Red can... Sox have the ability to control that. I mean, right. It's not something that, you know, he can control himself. I mean, if he's not having a good year, with the amount of people that they have in place now, 
especially, you know, you've got Nunez, too. I mean, you've got a bunch of people that can, you know, play on this team. I mean, Nunez could play some some uh, first base if they need it. So, um, you know, and, and you know, so and Nunez is, you know, so I, I'm just saying, though, that, you know, in general, if he's not playing well, they can sit him and not ha- and he won't get those plate appearances, and then they'll be done with them. And that will take off, you know, $22 million off the payroll coming into a year where there's the best free agent class in maybe MLB history. So in terms of the lineup, though, I think that, um, you know, we saw it last year where Betts was really focused on. And, you know, he, he chased a lot of pitches, um, you know, and, and he led a lot of pitches that were, you know, that he would have been able to square up and hit you know, hard, go right down the middle of the plate without swinging at them. And it was, it was a weird year for him. And, you know, you look at it at the end of the year, he still had good numbers, you know, but his batting average is down, but he still, you know, finished third in, in doubles in, in the American League, or actually I think in MLB. And But the focus was really on him and the ability he could even pitch around him. And I think that, you know, that with, with, with uh, J.D. Martinez in this lineup, it just is, Alex Gore said, you know, the pitchers might be a little bit more aggressive with those first three or four, two or three hitters, you know, depending, he said, depending on where J.D. Martinez hits, and that might open some things up for them. Just He just kind of makes every, I think he makes this whole lineup better. It makes it where David Ortiz, that David Ortiz, you know, type thing that you had in 2016 where, you know, bets can be better, Bogarts can be better different guy. I think Benetton will have a big year. He makes everybody better. He makes the lineup deeper. Even Nunez helps make this lineup deeper. Well, and you got Rafael Devers hitting sixth in this pro- in projected well, he, lineup, and he's he's hitting three fifty with three home runs this spring. Yeah, I think that goes under under the radar in terms of you know the power potential power potential of this lineup because you know everybody was like oh they need a power hitter in the off season and they did obviously they needed to add a JD Martinez but if you look at it they didn't have those home runs you know i mean uh Rafael Devers came up in you know in August or whatever and hit 10 home runs in you know 40 games or so 50 games um I wouldn't be surprised. He's gonna he's going to struggle at times this year. He, there's going to be times when he's going to have to figure some things out. But I wouldn't be surprised even if he has certain stretches that Ben Tenney had like last year, where he, you know he struggles for a month, like a whole entire May, like Ben Tenney did. Did he still finish his year with 30 power, 30 home runs? Because he has he just has that type of power where he can run into some balls and and you know even when he's struggling, he, he'll still hit home runs. So that's going to be a huge addition to the lineup in general. And, you know, you've got that much power. You know, that, that added power right there. So you're talking about J.D. Martinez, but you're also talking about Rafael Devers. So there's a lot of um, ability in this whole lineup, up and down. It's a very deep lineup. And, you know, it's interesting that Alex Gore brought up the fact that, you know, the Houston Astros hit a ton of home runs last year, and now the whole everybody's talking about, oh, you need home runs to win a World Series. You need to hit the ball out of the ballpark. But, you know, back a couple of years ago when the Kansas City Royals won, right. it was all about it was all about doubles, RBIs, just, you know, run production. 
and yeah. so things change. We we saw we see that all the time. You know, sometimes some years you need the best starting rotation to you know you have to have that number one star, number two star. You have to have the top two stars to to win a World Series. And some years you have to have Andrew Miller to you know that that you know guy that can right. bridge the gap. Every year it's different formula. It's it's it doesn't have to be this. You know, it's not it's not like you have to have a lineup that has a ton of home run power. So they've got a deep lineup. I I, I think that there's, they're going to surprise a lot of people in terms of how, how good this lineup can be, or how much better it can be than last year. Yeah, I hope so because I'd like to shut up some certain talk show hosts in Boston who are convinced <laughs> that the only really good players that would have fit in the Red Sox lineup are you know Giancarlo Stanton or trading for Aaron Judge. You know that's what they you know as short of those guys, everyone else stinks. But you know I'm with you. I think this is a deep uh, potentially a really deep lineup, and I think a full season of Devers, uh, Betts maybe you know I think rebounding as far as maybe hitting a few more home runs. Benintendi kind of put on what ten or fifteen pounds of muscle this offseason. I think he's kind of bulking up. Not too much hopefully, but enough that I think his power will go up. You get a little uptick from Bogarts. Hanley, as you said, is motivated. Great. That's wonderful. You know, you add all those things together and hopefully, uh, you know, and Jackie Bradley Jr. last year almost, you know, I think hit around 20 home runs too. So, I mean, you know, even for all his streaky hitting, uh, it's so there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, it's a deep lineup. Uh, Really in regards to this, Chris, the only other question I guess I'd ask with the lineup, what's the uh, word on when Pedroia is supposed to be back? Is it supposed to be late April or Memorial Day? I mean, I haven't really heard much about it lately yeah that's a good question i really have we haven't really talked much about actually i mean they might not miss him much based on you know if all these guys play up to the expectations we're sort of throwing on him here but uh yeah i don't you know like we haven't really asked too much about uh to core about Pedro. uh we haven't asked core about Pedro much recently but he actually there was uh something that was out there from one of the reporters i wasn't at the game um i stayed back at fort myers um couple of days ago, there was uh, something that somebody tweeted out that Pedroia wanted to actually play uh, two, the two games and, you know, uh, t- this Tampa Bay game and another game. So I, I don't know if he was actually serious about that. Core said no. Um, actually, I think it was Jason Mastronato. He, he tweeted that out a couple of days back. So, um, yeah, but I guess Pedroia actually asked that um, that uh, if he could play on the, the Two road games at the end of this week. This one in this Tampa game and the one that they played yesterday. So I, I don't know where he is right now in terms of when he could come back. My best guess is this: he he'll be back at the end of uh, April. <laughs> That's okay. my best guess. Yeah. No, I mean, part of this, I, I know maybe it also helps buy the Red Sox a little time with some of these back-end-of-the-roster decisions we were talking about at the top of the show, uh, and having Pedroia out will kind of help maybe clear some of those those issues up. It is interesting, though, what you just said, though. Pedroia wanted to actually get into, I, I know they're only spring training games, but to still get into, you, you're going to face some guys who are on other teams who are going to be in the major leagues this year, so it's not, yeah. you know, if, if he thinks, he, I mean, that, that he's that close to being ready to play at all i mean you wouldn't want to play in a spring training game unless you were like really close to playing i i would think yeah so that would indicate that it would not be the end of april that it would be right more. but 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 Pedro has always been ambitious so i think well, that they're gonna right. you know take in the reins here a little bit and you know calm him down in terms of you know when he realistically should because it, you know, of course, that all along, like with all these guys, 
He doesn't want them just to come rush back. He wants them to come back and then be healthy so they don't go back on the DL. We saw that with Petorio last year. He rushed back, and then he was, he was activated for one game, and then he went right back on the DL. And so, you know, the, the, initial, the initial prognosis or whatever you say was that he was going to miss the first six weeks of the season, most realistically. Um, maybe that's chopped down a couple of weeks. Maybe it's chopped down four weeks. He's back in the middle of April, but I don't think they're going to try to rush him. I, I even if he tries to, you know, um, you know, if he tries to ask, I just don't think they're gonna they're gonna let him rush back. Yeah, and again, they have they have the luxury based on the depth of the of the positional players that they can afford to let him, you know, rest until he's totally healthy. So I'm with you, Chris. I say let him take take as much time as he needs, and you know, keep him on the deal as long as you need to. And I think some of these other issues with the like say like some of the bench spots will sort themselves out. Let's uh, flip over to the uh, to the pitching staff now, or kind of come back. I know we talked about Brian Johnson early. Uh, earlier in this uh, Toddcast, but let's go to the whole rotation here. And I guess, you know, you got to start right at the top. Chris Sale, David Price, Rick Porcello. Do you think these three guys, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, this this is going to be, the Red Sox are going to go as far as these three guys can take them. And my question to you is, I mean, are they they a given for 45 to 50 wins between the three of them? And what have you seen from them this spring? Uh, Like, who of these guys do you maybe like the most? And, you know, will someone like Porcello bounce back from, from uh, the the poor year he had last season. Yeah, I think that um, I think uh, I'm really looking for David Price to have a big year. I really do, and I've, I've said this. It's his turn, right? Wild now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is his turn, really, and, and he can opt out after this year. You know, if if he does have a big year, and if he wants to opt out, he can. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you got to look at the fact that you know there's. Um, <laughs> Whoever, if he was to opt out and try to sign somewhere else, and the team were to sign him, they would be looking at those elbow, you know, MRIs and stuff like that. So, you know, he might not want to opt out for that reason. But, um, you know, I, I look at um, I look at him as he he looks healthy to me. He's throwing healthy. He's I mean, he's just uh, I look at him as and I think that. I put together his, over his last 200 and something innings. After the first like nine starts of his first year, he's, he's got an ERA of like 3.13 as a Red Sox. And I think a lot of people, you know, first impressions are, are lasting, and you know, and a lot of people look back as David Price's, you know, that four or five ERA guy that he was in the first month or two with the Red Sox, and. You know, they forget that he was, uh, you know, in 2015, he was the best pitcher in baseball there in the second half, and he finished second for the Cy Young. And he's consistently been a Cy Young candidate. So, like, I put out that it's not too bold of a prediction, I I said the other day. A bunch of fans, like, got on me. And they were like, I said, it's not too bold of a prediction to say that he could have a better year than Chris Sale. And and people were like, what, are you crazy? (laughs) But you know why they're this bl- making this guy's making two hundred and seventeen million dollars. He's that per start. He's that good. <laughs> to, you 
know, to, to get that much money, why wouldn't he be capable of, you know, having that kind of year where he had a better year than Chris Sale? So Sure. But you know you know what Red Sox fans are blinded by here, Chris, is that they're blinded by all the off field stuff, the comments he's made. Yeah. You know, that's you know, they're not even I think most Red Sox fans probably not, don't even remember those first nine starts he had in a Red Sox uniform as much as they remember the run in with Dennis Eckersley last year and you know, on the team plane and all that things like that that's what people are focused in on and I mean it almost feels like that you know having a three ERA over a year and a half I mean it's gonna have to be better than that if he wants to to shut those kinds of fans up and you know it's you know I don't know you're right I don't know how much better he can really be than that I would certainly take a three ERA and 17 wins I mean that's a solid season I mean I mean for 30 million you'd like to see more but hey I know it's a it's a little pie in the sky I guess they have a reason for, for being, I don't know, mad at him, or I don't know if you'd say mad at him, but, you know, displeased with the way that he acted. I mean, you know, you, you've got to be mature. You know, you've got to be a mature adult when you made $217 million and you're a major league pitcher. I mean, the way that he treated, you know, Eckersley, it was just unprofessional, but also the way he treated certain media members, writers last year was unprofessional. And, um, yeah. You know, and he just wasn't happy last year. And Jerry Remy actually made a comment about it. Like when you're when you're not, you know, when you're when you're not healthy, he said it just did spring training this year. Jerry Remy a couple weeks ago. By the way, sidebar. Uh, great to see Remy back in the uh, Nesson booth. Yeah. I know he just came back this week. Uh, so hopefully, nice healthy year from the Rem dog behind the mic. Yeah, and he said to he said to me like when 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 you're not healthy. And you have an injury, you're miserable. And that was actually David, and he was talking to me about David Price. And that's the best way to describe David Price last year, he's miserable. When we saw him in the clubhouse, he looked miserable all the time. Now, I liked his comment at the beginning of spring training where he said, you know, I want to be the uh, the faucet, not the drain this year. <laughs> that's a good thing. I was I like too much one. of the drain last year. So yeah, he sure recognized was. that there was things that he did wrong last year, that his leadership was not good last year, that it was the wrong type of leadership. So I don't want to give David Price a pass um, and say that, he does. The fans deserve to be more on his side because he has a three point something ERA. He's he needed to be more mature in the situation too. Um, sure. Yes. I mean, he he should have handled things differently, and he needs he he you know he he um, he escalated everything himself uh, in a way. I mean, you can you can deal with things a certain way and, and not. You know, escalated. He escalated it. Um, you know, he got aggravated by things, and he made he made certain things worse by yelling at people. And I saw it firsthand. <laughs> you yeah. know, so um, I saw him yell at, at a reporter firsthand. So, oh yeah, know, right. We'll, we'll see what he's like. It. I think that the good thing about it is it's you know it's a new year, and reporters are supposed to forget about these things. Um, players are supposed to forget about these things. Everybody's supposed to, you know, start over. And so I think he started over. I, I mean, all the I, from what I know, all the reporters don't have a problem with David Price, and um, and uh, there's no issues on that side. There's no issues, I don't think, on his side. And I think that it could be a productive year for him. Yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah. I just I hope so. I certainly. Uh... You know, it, it, it needs to be from that level. But, uh, yeah, I, 
you know, he, he needs to just kind of, I, I think, you know, shutting up and pitching would go a long way towards getting the, the fans back on his side and, and, you know, putting up the good numbers and all. You brought up something earlier in our conversation, though, Chris. You said uh, you were saying that Price really, I guess, didn't like Farrell very much, which I find so ironic because it felt like that Price was able to get away with the way he behaved last year because of Farrell's managing style. Whereas I think if Cora had been with the team managing last year, I don't think he would have seen Price quite as, I know you're saying, you know, and I know uh, Remy told you maybe it was because, you know, um, Price was ailing with the, you know, with the elbow from time to time. But I don't know. I, I think that's the other thing that might make things different here too, not only with Price and better health, but I just think a manager that's not going to take this kind of, crap uh you know as far as behavior and everything uh the way price was uh, off the field to, to certain members of the media yeah yeah i mean um yeah i reported at the end of last year i kind of known i had known that price didn't get along with Farrell for a while and um well like i say i find that so ironic because it felt like Farrell was enabling price to get away with you know and, and act the way he did well, yeah, and I mean, immediately when I heard the manager, John, uh, comments from David Price, he knew something was going on, and so I asked some people, and, you know, and you hear some things, and from what I was told, he wasn't getting along with not just John, but other people on the coaching staff as well. I don't know who, who or how many, but I reported that, that there was, you know, John, he, John was not his favorite person, and there other coaches... He didn't really get along with either. So, I mean, not not all the coaches, I'm told, but maybe there were some other coaches that he just didn't, you know. So I, that's what I'm told. And so, you know, but um, I, from what he's positive about it, this new coaching staff, I'll tell you that. And he, he did Good. throw in one manager, John, this year at the beginning of, um, he was asked about if he was surprised with, that Farrell was fired. and he threw in a manager John comment, and wow. that that just shows you that he's he's still despised. Or I don't want to say despised, but okay. doesn't seem to like the guy. Sounds like David Price will not be watching uh, ESPN's baseball tonight, then, because <laughs> apparently it was just yes. named that uh, Farrell's going to be joining the uh, the baseball tonight team over at the Four Letter Network. So. Uh, and as well as doing some part-time scouting work for the uh, Cincinnati Reds, which was also announced earlier this week uh, for Farrell. So, yeah, okay, well, there you go. Uh, let's kind of wrap things up. Uh, the one aspect of the team we haven't talked about yet, Chris, uh, is uh, the bullpen. And to me, you know, you've got one certainty in a lot of wild cards. The certainty, of course, Craig Kimbrell, your closer, who, uh, you know, I know this has been a, a very tough spring for him dealing with, uh, you know, with, with his uh, with his child going through the uh, the the heart surgery again, and uh, you know the, that that's got. I mean, we haven't really seen him much on the mound this year, and hopefully, from an emotional standpoint, he's going to be kind of ready to go when the season starts. Um, so there's that, and then to me, I'll tell you, compared to last year, I see this bullpen having a, a lot of question marks behind Kimbrel as far as who's going to set up for him. Uh, you know, is it going to be, is it going to be Kelly? Is it going to be Carson Smith, who we really haven't seen yet over a full season? Uh, and then what about Barnes? And, you know, is Tyler Thornburg ever going to appear? I mean, they, they traded a boatload to get him. So, uh, <laughs> Chris, your thoughts on the, uh, the the Sox bullpen, how it's going to shake out? I guess they, as far as numbers go, they're going to start the season with, with seven in the pen, which I think will probably end up expanding to eight as we move along uh, later in the year. And, you know, they're playing more often. Maybe, you know, when the other starters come back, Brian 
Ryan Johnson gets shifted and becomes that eighth reliever. But uh, talk about as it's currently constituted, what what you expect, uh, you know, for them to start the season. <clears throat> I really haven't thought about the too much. Oh, okay, well, you know, if it wasn't for a little uh, cheat sheet in front of me with who the guys were in the bullpen, I probably wouldn't I mean, I wouldn't be thinking about it either. But who's actually going to be on the roster? I really that's one of the last things I've actually thought about this spring. But um, well, how about I run? When I'm making it a little easier for you, Chris, I'll run down some names. You just tell me what your what your thoughts are, what you've seen of them this spring, and whether you think they, you know, what role you see them filling in the bullpen. We'll start with uh, we'll start with Carson Smith. I mean, I, obviously we're going to bypass Kimbrel because we already know his role um, at the end of games, but. But uh, starting with, uh, well, actually, you know, let's back up. I'm sorry. Let's back up with Kimbrell because I heard Alex Cora say there might be times this year with Kimbrell that he's not going to close the end the game, that maybe if the, the key spot in the game and the heart of the other team's lineup is up in the eighth <coughs> inning and there's runners on base or whatever, maybe that's when you'll see Kimbrell come in and maybe he won't close out the game in the ninth. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, you know, he said it. At the winter meetings, and then he said it again one other time. I think it was at winter weekend. And he's been asked about it a couple other times now. Spring training, um, and you know, Kimmel was so. Um, he's. I mean, look at he's going into his free agent year, um, and he th- he's the type. It seems that thinks saves are important to making money. Um, but when you come right down to it, the most important thing of making money, I think. Is is good array and and um, and the ability to pitch in any situation. I think now. I think I think that the people have, have shown that, and uh, that that's the most important thing. Whether it was Kenley Jansen, uh, you know, getting his money after you know he performed so well for the Los Angeles Dodgers in, in, in the um, playoffs a couple of years ago, where they were throwing him out for like three innings, you know. That where Dave Roberts was, uh, you know, giving him any situation possible. He, you know, if they needed to bring in, you know, the seventh inning, the eighth inning. If they needed somebody else to pitch the ninth inning, that's fine. Um, you know, and then you know, Al, Andrew Miller is going to be the most coveted reliever on next year's market. He's not even the closer. Um, so I think that the most important thing that that Kimball needs to realize is that. This is the way the game is going. That if the most important situation in the game is the the eighth inning, that he needs to pitch it, and that saves aren't the most important thing anymore. That this is the way that the game is going, and that's where the money he's gonna people are gonna recognize that, and that's where the money is too. It's not just in saves, and so um, I think he's been hesitant. I think he's been hesitant to pitch more than you know two more than one inning. And he was last year, even though he did it a lot. And um, and so um, we'll see with them, and we'll see how that unfolds. I think it's important that they have strong communication back and forth on when he's going to, you know, when it when it could happen. And another factor that could play into this is you don't know when it could happen. That's the thing. Yeah, but the other factor that could easily play into this, Chris, is how are the guys behind Kimbrel performing? Because you know, if you have to rely on Kimbrel all the time every time there's a tight spot in the late innings, you know, then yeah, you're right. He could show up anywhere, you know, eighth, ninth, maybe even earlier. But let's talk about some of these other guys in the pen. Carson Smith. What have you seen of him this spring? Do you think he's ready to assume a major eighth inning setup role behind Kimbrel? Yeah, I mean, he told me that, you know, I think a lot of people get a little bit of a mis- misconception with him um, in that 
he's a fireballer. He really isn't. I mean, it's the most important thing with him is the slider, and you know, his 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 average velocity really is like 93, like when he's going good. He said if he can get it in the 93, I think he said 93, 94 range, then he'll be happy with that. I really haven't seen any clocks of late, but um, any any radar guns of late. But I mean, his his sliders look nasty. Um, you know, if that slider's going well, he doesn't have to throw it hard. Um, and we, you know, we saw with Brandon Workman last year, the, the the velocity eventually does come back. So, um, you know, as long as he's throwing an effective slider, he'll be effective. I look at him as the eighth inning guy, no matter if he's throwing 92 or if he's throwing 94. Uh, if that slider's happening, then the the velocity eventually will be back by May or June. Okay, so then where do Joe Kelly and Matt Barnes fit in? Yeah, I mean, look at Matt, Matt Barnes needs to prove a lot. Uh, I, I think. I mean, he, he you know he always comes out. He has a decent first you know half or first half of the first half. I, he, you know, last year he really wasn't good in the second half, and he missed the postseason roster. Um, you know, I've just never really been too impressed by Matt, Matt Barnes. I mean, there's been stages that I have been impressed, but just, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, he, he's a six inning guy to me. That's what, that's what he is. And, um, I, I look at, you know, Joe Kelly. I mean, the, the numbers are, are always there with him. It's, you know, but, um, you know, health wise, he's just going to stay healthy. And, um, I look at him as a seventh inning guy. Um, so yeah, I'd say him seventh inning, um, Matt Barnes sixth inning, but it doesn't have to be like that. You know, you don't have to have, you know, you can have two, two guys that you trust in anything. Yeah. You know, guys you trust in the seventh inning, you know, you, I just don't look at it in that way that you just have to have it all lined up either. Oh, oh of course not. I mean, the only time you line them up is in, in the games you're, you're watching right now, the spring trading games where everyone's got an assigned yeah, exactly. inning. Otherwise, you know, get, yeah, everything's got to happen. I mean, you have a rough idea where you want to use guys, but yeah. like you said, you have to watch the game. You know, each individual regular season game has to play itself out. And, you know, how often have you used these guys? You, you certainly got to give them days off in between and stuff. Um, you know, how about a Tyler Thornburg? Where, where's he fitting into this? Where, where is he? I mean, is he, you know, I know, I know where Travis Shaw is. I, I know where he, he's up there playing all the time and doing his thing. So he threw a bullpen yesterday, Thornburg. I mean, he, he's looked good in his bullpen. I'll tell you, did he throw a wide BP? Yeah, I think he threw a wide BP yesterday. But he is expected to start the year on the DL, right? Yeah. Okay. Look good. So. Um, it's just with him, um, you know, I mean, it's a difficult thing to come back from uh, thoracic outlet syndrome. You know, a lot of pitchers haven't had success coming back from that. So, uh, you know, with him, um, we'll see. It's just a, we'll see. I think that the I, I, I have confidence that with the way I've seen him throw his bullpens, I mean, he's throwing hard. He looks really good. I think he can come back and be effective. Um, if, if Carson Smith and Thornburg are your late inning guys, and they, yeah, I, I've written this before. If they, if they lead the team in, in, um, you know, in holds, this could be one of the best bullpens in baseball. I mean, those two guys are really good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but you know, we, we've seen the Red Sox piece things together too with bullpens. You know, in the first half of, of the past two years, really. I mean, the, the bullpen was. Not great last year, and and they still have one of the best ERAs in, in baseball entering. You know, before they got Addison Reed, and before you know, in in when 
Dombrowski patched it up, you know, with Addison Reed at, at, at you know at, at the uh, trade deadline. You could get guys at the trade deadline, as I said earlier, for really cheap uh, relievers at the trade deadline. So, Agreed. you know, with what they have between Hembry, Barnes, uh, you know, Kelly, um, you know, Smith, when Thornburg does come back, they have enough. Uh, I would, you know, and in, in, in terms of left-hand relievers, you know, Robbie Scott. This Bobby Poignier is, is an interesting kid. He's had a great spring training. He's somebody to look out for. I actually wrote about it before spring training. It's somebody you should look out at during spring training. Um, he doesn't throw extremely hard. He, I think he's about 92, 93. He's got good deception. And he hasn't pitched above, above double A, but he's, he's threatening to make the team. That's what they say, at least. I don't think he will make the team because he's not even on the 40-man uh, roster yet where there's other guys like, you know, there's other guys that have, you know, um, options that, you know, are, are dwindling down. So they, they, they get preference over him because of that. But, you sure. know, he could be at, up on this team at some point this year. So he's an interesting name to watch. Um, and then Elias is another guy, is a left-handed guy. He's, he's gone down to a sidearm angle completely. Um and so he should be interesting as a left-handed reliever. He hasn't pitched that well this spring, but... Uh, how about... I know he's not left-handed, but Brandon Workman, has his comeback sort of been derailed? Oh, yeah, or yeah. Is he, or is he Another been... one. And I've always liked Brandon, so yeah. He's... Well, you can't... You know, he was a big part of that 2013 you know, World Series champion <clears throat> team. Uh, he was the, the eighth-inning guy, uh, especially through that postseason, and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think, you know, he's young enough that he's... I know he's had some arm trouble since, but... He's in that group. I mean, he still has an option left, but he's in that group with, you know, Hembry, Barnes, Kelly, as as guys that, you know, can lead up to to Smith and potentially Thornburg when he comes back. So this, this I, I've written it before, this bullpen has the ability to be one of the best in, in, in baseball if everybody, you know, if, 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 if Smith and Thornburg are healthy. And, I mean... That that's a big if though, especially with Thornburg. Okay, uh, you know, as as I you know, I'm looking at this. I was just about to get you for a prediction, but before we do, I want to get right back to the starting rotation because I, I asked you about the big three at the front, and then we got sidetracked and went off on a whole David Price tangent. So I kind of want to come back to Sale and Porcello. Uh, one uh, with regards to Porcello, do you expect him to bounce back? Uh, and I'm not saying he'll be at the Cy Young level he was two years ago, but at least an improvement over last year. And two. Chris Sale, um, you know, do you think that Cora and the rest of the coaching staff, or the, you know, the pitching coaches are going to go out of their way more to try to uh, to manage his turns in the rotation so that he's going to still be fresh and pitching stronger? Because we all know Sale's career numbers in, in August and September, you know, they're just nothing compared to what they are the first four months of the year. And he's a, it's a tall, skinny, frail kind of guy. And I, frail's the wrong word, but he, he just, there's not a lot of meat on the bones there with him. So there's always that wear down factor. And, and and the stats back it up with him. So do you think that they're going to try to, you know, kind of give him more of the Pedro Martinez treatment, which I guess Alex Cora probably remembers pretty well from his days playing here. Your thoughts on, on both those guys. Yeah. With, with Priscilla, I think he can turn around and have a better year. Um, you know, the, the big thing with him is just uh, command. That's, you know, commanding the sinker. Um, yes. Keep the ball down. <laughs> I mean, Really, though, it's as simple as that because, you know, you look at his turnaround in 2015 
I mean, he had really bad numbers, obviously, in 2015, his first year with the Red Sox, but he came off the DL his final, like, you know, 10 starts or something after he came off the DL in August. Mm-hmm. He had, uh, you know, like a three-something ERA, a low three ERA, but the most impressive thing was his, you know, strikeout-to-walk ratio. I mean, he was, it was, it was, I mean, he wasn't walking anybody during that stretch, and when he won the Cy Young in 2016, he had the best strikeout-to-walk ratio in the majors. And, you know, he had the lowest, um, you know, um, walk rate per nine innings. So it, it's really with him his control and, in, in, you know, getting you know, getting those singers where they need to be. Right. Uh, it's always been that for him. And, and he left too many pitches up and last year and, and right in the zone, and he got hit. And uh, and he's worked with Derek Lowe a lot this it's spring training. Derek Lowe's been here quite a bit working with them. And, um, Sounds like a good pairing to me because we all know how good Lowe's sinker was when he really had it going. Exactly. exactly. So. And, and um, you know, Persolo, um you know, he's a, he's a good guy. I mean, I, I, it's funny. Like you talk to him, he, he is a good guy. He's always he's always um, he's very calm. He's, you know, he, he understands. You know, you can tell him that. You know, he, he, he talks about his struggles. He understands that he hasn't pitched good at certain points, and, and you know, he'll, he'll be very blunt with you that he hasn't pitched. He hasn't done his job and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, I could see him turning it around. I mean, he knows exactly what he needs to do. And, you know, and he's worked with, um, you know, he's worked with Dan, Dana, Dana Lavangi has been good. Um, they've, they've, you know, set up certain, like a strike zone apparatus or something like that for him, which he's pitching into. Um, my co-beat writer wrote a story on that one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I look at him as somebody that kind of bounced back here. What's a, what's a good year for him? You know, an ERA that's a little above three, three point five. I would, I would take. I think anybody would take that any day with Rick Brazil. Um In terms of in with Chris Sale, I think that you know the, the most important thing is to um, you know we see that it was even before he became a Red Sox. That was the thing with him was that he you know he would burn out in in August and September. And we saw that last year, obviously. And you look at it, and Pedro Martinez said an interesting thing. He said that he wishes he wishes Chris Sale would be less focused on strikeouts and you know and, and you know um, throwing less pitches and you know getting quicker outs. And but he did that in 2000 and what was it, 2016, and he still struggled in September. So we'll see if things work with with Sale. And, and I think they do need to manage their innings. One thing that was very interesting that Rob Bradford, WEI, wrote last year was he talked to Josh Beckett about this whole situation. And Josh Beckett was like, "Yeah, I never, I never wanted to go to like more, you know, 230 innings in a year because, you know, those extra 30 innings are what you you were doing in a postseason. You looked at that as another season. You know, you didn't want to be at 230 in the." regular season because once you're 230 in the regular season that means you you know in the postseason then you're gonna have to get up to 260 270 you know he they were always looking in terms of like Terry Francona they were always looking in terms of you know there being two seasons the regular season and then the regular the regular season and the postseason and I think that that's the way Alex Scorer and Daniel Avangie are gonna look at things 
Um, you know, how can they, you know, how what can they do to keep Sale fresh? And it's going to be difficult for Sale because he's going to want to throw the ball a million miles per hour and strike out every batter. And they've got to rein it in. Yeah, well, but like you, you said that, that Pedro had said, it's also more about pitch economy. It's not just is it, the number of innings that Sale is pitching, or really any pitcher for that matter. It's the pitch count itself for each of those innings. How many pitches per yeah. inning are you averaging? And, you know, certainly if Sale can be more economical and maybe sacrifice some strikeouts to, you know— you know, just you get outs earlier in counts, then, yeah, I mean, then that's going to help, I think, go a long way towards Sale being at least a little fresh when it comes to the end of the season and into the postseason. Yeah. Yeah, I did it out, and it's, it's like two, two um, like, if he was, like, what what uh, Sale did in 2016 compared to 2017 with the amount of pitches he threw because of contact in 2016 and strikeouts in 2017, it was like two full games, two more full games that he threw in 2017 because of the strikeout. So there you go. Well, right, and the, and those two games would have maybe come in handier in in the playoffs. Uh, granted, the short uh, time that the Sox were in the uh, postseason, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, let's let's finally. Okay, we are going to wrap this up, Chris, and I, I do want to thank you for for spending all this extra time on the bright side. At least to now, thanks to my screwing up, you, you're not missing the Syracuse tip off. So that's good. <laughs> all right. But uh, I want to I want to nail you down for a win loss total on this team. Uh, what you think? And uh, and how far do you think this? Like, will they be a, a playoff team? And how far do you think they're going to go? Well, obviously, making winning the AL East is we obviously know that that's incredibly important because of the, uh, you know, because of you know the one and out, uh, you know, wild card game. So, so, Which so far, the, the Red Sox have you know under these new rules, they haven't had to play in that game yet. Yes. Yeah, so. That's why I think that they will end up going over the $237 million that I mentioned before because this race is going to be so tight between the Yankees and the Red Sox that they're going to have to make some moves at the deadline to, you know, to compete with the Yankees down the stretch and win it. Uh, because, it, I mean, I, I look at this, I, I wrote it the other day, I think that it's going to come down to the final series. There's a three-game series at Fenway. The week before that, there's a three-game series at New York. I think it will come down to that three-game series at Fenway between the Red Sox and New York, final series of the year, final regular season of the year. Do you like the Red Sox, though, to, to edge out the Yankees to win the division, and do you see both teams making the postseason anyway, the other is a wild card, whoever doesn't win? Both teams. I see both teams definitely making the, you know, the, the postseason. I see whoever doesn't. Win the division, um, being the the number one wild card team hosting the uh, the playoff game. Um, I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the Yankees, uh, just because um, just because I like to make a trade. No, I, I, I don't know. I just oh, um, <laughs> have you been appearing on talk shows behind my back, Chris? You sound like I said. Have you been starting to appear on more talk shows behind my back? I mean, I know, you said you said contrary, and I immediately thought, oh, you must be one of those sports radio hosts now. Or uh, I know. <laughs> so, so you got okay. So the Sox, you're you're thinking will finish as the the top wild card, but how, how many wins do you have for them? I'd say ninety three. Okay. And so that that means the Yankees are going to have to play. I mean, the Yankees will win ninety four, ninety five. And and do you think they're capable of that? I mean, I know offensively it looks like they should be, but there are some question marks. Uh, probably more with their rotation than their bullpen. But 
the bullpen's really good. Um, so, I mean, we'll see with the rotation. So you, you may have me on in a month, and I'll say something different <laughs> rotation. But um, if the rotation can, you know, but you got to look at it as, too, they're they were under the, the tax threshold, and I don't think they're even close to $197 million. Um, in terms of if they were to add a, a starting pitcher at the deadline, that they would go over, and they want to stay under the 197 million. So even if they were to add a good pitcher at the deadline, they would be able to stay under. So uh, they, you know, the Yankees are the Yankees; they can add. So you're saying even when the Yankees traded for Gene Carlos Stanton in his 30 million dollar year contract, they're still their their team payroll is still about 35 million less than the Red Sox going into this season. Well, yeah, but also Stanton's um, Stanton's contract is twenty five million against the payroll. Uh, so, like his average annual value is at least twenty five million, even though he's making like thirty something a year in some years. He's actually his, his average annual values of the contract is only twenty five million. So that's actually a pretty reasonable contract. That's why I always said that it wouldn't have been a bad thing for the Red Sox to do. Because if you look at it in terms of what Bryce Harper and other guys are going to get next offseason, Machado, Donaldson, they're going to get way more than $25 million, or presumably they're going to get like you know $30 million average annual or $31 million average annual salaries, or maybe even $35 million for Bryce Harper. So the Stanton contract really is an outrageous if you look at it in, in the whole and and even more so, he's probably going to opt out because it's not that outrageous. Okay, you and I, I think, agree. I, I would not have had a problem with them trying to make a deal for Stanton as well. Uh, but my question would be, do, would the Red Sox, have, would Dombrowski have had enough to be able to trade to the Marlins? And second, would Derek Jeter have allowed himself to trade Stanton to the rival of his, uh, you know, the team he obviously spent his whole career, Hall of Fame career for? Interesting question. I think that a lot of people... Um, Look at it that way. Well, first of all, yeah, the Red Sox would have had enough. I mean, you look at, I mean, I don't know if he would have wanted to come to the Red Sox. There, there was his, I talked to his agent. We all talked to his agent at the at the winter meetings, and his agent was saying, saying that the Red Sox really didn't make a serious run at him. So there wasn't a situation where he could have declined a trade anyway to the Red Sox. So um, the Red Sox would have been in the running, maybe. Um, but if they had traded, you know, they would have taken, you know, Chavez. I mean, there's a bunch of prospects. They would have Chavez, uh, or Chavez, I should say, um, you know, Mata, Groom, any of those guys would have been available in that trade, and they would, the Marlins would have taken. The The Yankees were forced to, I, I mean, the Marlins were forced to trade into the Yankees because he wouldn't go to the... Yeah, he wouldn't go to the yeah. Giants and the Cardinals for better prospect packages, and they really didn't get much at all from the Yankees. So, you know, Stanton kind of forced their hand to trade him to the Yankees. And um, but from you know to the public eye, a lot of people just think it looks like he's yeah. courting he's courting okay. favors from his former team. Yeah, but that's I'm, actually, I'm talking Jeter again. I should I didn't mention Jeter, but yeah. that's what it looks like. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to get to about that. Um, so that's actually from talking to Yankees beat writers that covered Jeter. Um, it would have been the last thing that Jeter wanted to do because I guess he's not really. Um, from what I'm told by Yankees beat writers, I have no idea, but I guess he's like the last thing he would want to do is help out the Yankees. <laughs> really? He's not that fond of the um, 
either I don't know either the front office or the ownership. I don't know, but he's not. They, he would have probably rather helped out the Red Sox than the Yankees. He well, was kind isn't of that interesting? Well, now it just makes you wonder: had the had Stanton not made his remarks, and maybe had the Red Sox not taken those remarks seriously, or just ignored them and said, "Okay, we're going to give you an offer. Let's throw out all of our best prospects and you know and try to make a run at it." If Jeter would have pulled the trigger, even with Stanton saying no, yeah. Although Stanton I, Stanton had the right of first I, refusal, I, I, right? And I don't know. I mean, I I've talked to Yankees reporters, and that's what they say. Well, that is they, wow. Does, uh, that you know he doesn't even he n- didn't even really come around Yankee Stadium much except for his retirement ceremony and that mm-hmm. and after his after his retirement so he uh, it's not like he loves the Yankees organization that let's just put it that way that he yeah. would that or whoever's working in the Yankees organization that he would just trade him over and that that's like a uh, you know Kevin McHale to give you know. Kevin Garnett to uh, the Celtics type move. That's it's not oh, like that. Okay, uh, all right. Totally, uh, like that's a, that was a perception that a lot of people had, and even I had in the beginning. But uh, I, th- I think that people should know that that's not the case. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's boy, you've you're you're enlightening me more and more as we've gone <laughs> through this podcast. So I thank you for that, Chris. Um, okay. So you said the Red Sox probably, you know, in your mind, you're predicting them as a first wild card entry. They get to host that play in wild card game. Uh, do you think even if they have to do that, they still have a chance to to make a a deep playoff run? And who do you ultimately like? We'll make you give us a World Series prediction on on top of your uh, your Red Sox prediction. Oof, I haven't even thought of that. I mean, okay. yeah, I mean, if they can win that for, I mean, this, you know, fifty-fifty in the first game, really anything can happen. Yeah, um, right. It depends who's right, who who the Red Sox would be starting in that game. And... I would think that the 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 best chance to come out of the American League would be the um, the Houston Astros again. And I know yeah, they're hard not to like, huh? I mean, boy, they, you know, what they did last year and then, uh, you know, defending champs, and then, boy, they're still loaded for Bear. And, well, they went out and picked up uh, Garrett Cole, who's not that bad a pitcher. That's why, that's why, you know, it's like a, the popular tr- the trendy thing is the Yankees, and I guess I got hooked into the trendy thing to pick them as the ALEs. But um, well, the trendy thing, if you like to troll Red Sox fans, that's why they're trendy. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess... Uh, I guess you know, you look at what they did last year and then what they added, you know, with Cole and the ability to do that. I think that you've got to look at them as the favorite right here. And then, you know, and then the Dodgers, I think, will will be back um, as, as the uh, NL representative. Ah, so this is going to be World Series rematch, huh? Back-to-back yeah. years. We haven't seen that since, what, Yankees-Dodgers back in the 70s, I believe. I, I don't know. That's informing me. I uh, yeah, I know. I know. That's well before your lifetime, but sadly that not is. not mine. Uh no, I remember those series pretty fairly well. Um so yeah, okay. Well, yeah, we'll have to see how it's uh, inter- you know, you're right. I mean, uh, certainly they look like the two best uh teams and you know i i do like houston i think again in the american league and it's gonna be you know red sox yankees are gonna each have a tough battle to uh 
to try to uh, do something, uh, you know, to, to improve uh, on, on that team or to be able to, to knock them off their uh, throne. But, uh, well, listen, Chris, I, you know, again, I, I appreciate you, you know, staying on a little longer than we uh, had originally discussed. So uh, I, 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 I talk I, a lot. So. No, that's okay. Well, hey, no, this was very informative. A lot of good stuff. Um, you know, uh, we didn't get to do a, a March television show. So this is trying to make up for doing an in-depth uh, preview on the Red Sox. So, uh, well, again, you know, Chris, uh, you know, enjoy your final few days down in Florida. Well, I guess it, it's actually a little longer because the Sox open in, in uh, yeah. St. Petersburg with uh, the Tampa Miami. Rays and then Miami, right? So, yeah, I guess you're down there for a couple more weeks before you have to yeah. come home. Hopefully the snow will be gone by then and uh, Fenway, they can exactly. actually play some games. But, uh, no, this has been it, it's been really fun to have you on uh, the Toddcast again. Chris, look forward to talking to you uh, again uh, throughout the season. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, again, that's uh, Christopher Smith, the uh, the beat writer, uh, Red Sox beat writer for MassLive.com and you can follow him on Twitter. His handle is at Smitty on MLB. Of course, don't forget to follow us uh, here on the Toddcast on social media. You can uh, search Time Out for Sports Talk on Facebook, and our Twitter handle is at TOSTBMC, where we uh, put post links uh, on both of those social media pages to the latest TOST Toddcast as soon as they are available. So once again, want to thank uh, Christopher Smith for joining us and uh, talking all things Red Sox. I'm looking forward to the season. I'm looking forward to seeing the snow off the ground, so uh, that'll... Uh, That'll be probably enough to get me excited here as we uh, make our way towards uh, the month of April. But, of course, the MLB season is starting March 29th. Wow. Okay. So, again, until the next time, uh, my name is Todd Blonears. I want to thank you very much for checking out the TOST Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.